January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And while trafficking is typically perceived as a law enforcement problem, if unnoticed, its roots can grow deep in a community, causing widespread problems. Having this Spotlight Month provides opportunities for in-depth information exchanges between law enforcement and subject experts. And the Justice Academy is committed to being a conduit to making that happen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCJA 1014. I'm your host, Kirk Puckett. On previous episodes, we've discussed the work of the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission, the worldwide organization Hope for Justice, and of course, the Justice Academy's involvement in training. The end result is to share how various entities in the criminal justice community are working together to identify the existence of human trafficking and to provide survivor services. In this episode, we'll be talking about yet another group of individuals dedicated to working toward the elimination of human trafficking in North Carolina. Cumberland County has established WORTH Court. WORTH is the acronym We Overcome Recidivism Through Healing. As always, we have assembled a panel of experts to share their wealth of knowledge with you, and more importantly, how you or your agency can benefit from their work. Faith Bamer is with the Child Advocacy Center in Fayetteville. Among her duties, Faith works with educating people about human trafficking, and she also presented in the Basic Sex Crimes course on our Salemburg campus back in December. Bobby Maddox and Benji Hare are also associated with Worth Court as advocates and case managers. And Johnny Leonard is with Healing Minds Therapy. Johnny is a therapist that works with trauma victims, including human trafficking survivors. Thank you for your time and levels of expertise as we take our listeners through your involvement in helping law enforcement and the community identify and prosecute human traffickers, and more importantly, providing assistance to survivors. I'd, I'd like to ask the first question of, of all of you. How did you come to work in human trafficking and specifically with the survivors? Faith, let me begin with you. Well, I began uh, working at the Child Advocacy Center almost uh, 14 years ago. And through that, working in education and awareness of promoting child abuse prevention, um, I began to hear and learn more and more, um, and it's grown uh, through the years of the need to educate people about human trafficking awareness. Um, we have had children come through here that have had those experiences. They're not always easily to identify um, as children, um, but from time to time they do come through and uh, we do our best to get services provided for them through the center. Johnny, as a therapist, I doubt very seriously that people make that connection between human trafficking survivors and therapy. But when you really drill down and think about it, it has to come to the forefront. How did you get involved with this? How I got involved with Worth Court was approached by actually by Benji Hare. And he actually received my information from a previous colleague, which actually I was in a diversion court before. And my previous experience is working in a, a substance abuse and alcohol clinic where, you know, dealing with individuals that receive those services and dealing with domestic violence. And so that's how I came to be a part of this group. Speaking of Benji Hare, sitting on the sidelines right now, I'd like to hear from you about how you got your involvement in human trafficking. 
Well, for many years working in healthcare, I had worked with grants management and woven into the work in public health focused care. I um, dealt with a lot of human trafficking issues, but they were not forefront at that time. But with the grants management side, I was approached and said, we've got some funding that has come from the administrative office of the courts. And would you consider helping us in expanding these grants and helping us develop and, and put these grants in force? Uh, as a result of Cumberland County having received the money because over the last uh, three years ago, for about four to five years, Cumberland County had prosecuted the highest number of human trafficking cases in the state. And so um, from my grants management background, I was kind of moved into this work. So I started looking at other sources of revenue that could help support the needs because a small amount of money doesn't go very far when you look at the dynamics of the need for the survivors. Bobby, what about you? Um, I have worked in family law for 41 years and the opportunity arose uh, for me to become involved in Worth Court and I jumped at the opportunity. Chief District Court Judge Tony King said that if I could continue to do my family court work and help out as a uh, Worth Court coordinator that she would like for me to do that and of course it was just refreshing to me to be able to do something different and um, jump into uncharted waters, if you will. And I've just thoroughly enjoyed helping uh, with the participants in Worth Court over the past three years. I want to get to more specific questions for you individually in just a moment, but I've got one more question that I would like for, for all of you to respond to, because I think the more people listen to human trafficking incidents and read cases and hear about the dynamics of human trafficking, the more interested they get in the people that work in the field. So Faith, I want to start with you and ask you if you ever had any hesitation when taking roles in the field of human trafficking. Really, I've not. Um, I have always had an interest in human trafficking and uh, I guess to be a little personal, um, and share a personal story. Um, my second child, a young girl, she's a young adult now, we adopted her and uh, she was actually trafficked um, when she was a baby um, through um, a hospital. And so because of the story there connected to that, that has always drawn interest to me um, in the human trafficking dilemma. And that, those are the things that I'm talking about, Faith. And thank you for being brave enough to share that story. Many people wouldn't. And it, I just think that, again, this thing has spider legs and webs that go on forever and ever. And hearing stories like that are just, you know, those are the kinds of things that make us appreciate people like you. So, again, I want to thank you for sharing that story. Johnny, what about you? Any hesitations in, in entering this realm of human trafficking? Uh, for myself, some, you know, you know, with my background in working in substance abuse, you know, I kind of wondered, looking back now, you know, did I miss, you know, some of those individuals you know, through domestic violence and, you know, looking at it, there probably was, I can't put an exact number on it, but I really believe that there probably was some human trafficking, you know, with substance abuse, a lot of that, you know, happens. And looking back kind of makes me wonder, did I miss anything? And, you know, it propelled me to want to know more. And so now it's like, oh, you've got to factor this in when, especially in any kind of like substance abuse clinic. So it propelled me to want to know more about this. So I just, as, as it always happens, I, I just want to eat it up. I want to learn more so I can become better and notice these things that obviously back then, you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't looking at. 
Well, and certainly to kind of dovetail off of your response, I think one of the things that investigators have found out more as they start drilling down through human trafficking cases is there is usually a direct correlation between narcotics and human trafficking. So let me move ahead. Benji, how about you? Any hesitations when someone came to you and said, hey, we'd like for you to do this? No hesitation, but I I would say one thing that I've reflected on many times is back during the 1980s as a disease intervention specialist in state and federal health services, I came upon what I now realize was human trafficking in eastern North Carolina that at the time I did not realize was human trafficking. And it was going on, um, I recall, many times during the season of the crops in North Carolina when we received a lot of migrant workers in eastern North Carolina. And those people were actually not coming at, at will. They were coming as a cause of human trafficking. And a lot of times I went to those migrant worker camps as a result of um, communicable disease issues. And there was human trafficking going on. I did not realize it at the time. And so the magnitude of the issue has been around in our communities, in our rural communities for a long time. And I think now there's a lot of advocacy going on that is bringing the issue to the service. It is right in our own communities statewide. And now we are now talking about it, whereas for decades we, we have said nothing about it. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. And those are conversations that we have had with past episodes mm-hmm. when we've talked with folks on the Human Trafficking Commission. It just doesn't have, I guess, the spotlight that things like some of the more common crimes, I guess, is the easiest way to put it when it, when it comes to large narcotics arrest out on Interstate 95 or wherever in the state of North Carolina, human trafficking is just beginning to propel itself into our communities. And as you said, as a result of migrant workers and Lord knows how many other facets that that incorporate into human trafficking. But I think you, you really hit it when you said that it is now beginning to get more attention and it should. It should have been getting this attention a long time ago. But I think, like many other things in law enforcement, you can only address them one at a time. So, Bobby, I want to come back to you. And I think you've already answered this question partially about any hesitations you said, because I wanted to jump in it with both feet. And you did. And so I, I would like to hear if there were any hesitations before you made those two-footed jumps. Absolutely not. And I will say that my awareness of human trafficking has grown so much since I became involved with Worthport because now I I drive down the street and I look at women differently walking down the street and I wonder, is she being trafficked? You know, I look at individuals in cars and how, and I'm not saying men are the only traffickers because certainly there are women as well who are traffickers, but I watch them in the cars and and men will be hitting women in the car and it's like, okay, is she being trafficked? And with us being the midpoint between New York and Miami, you know, this is the area where transfers are done a lot. You know, Fayetteville is is the midway point. So um, my awareness has grown and, you know, i did not have any hesitation at the time, and I certainly would not have any hesitation now. Those examples that you just 
have given are examples that we want to highlight to law enforcement. We want our cops out on the street to be more aware of some of the calls for service that they go on to and not just get in, kind of get everybody settled down and clear out. We want them to watch for certain signs. And, and thank you for, for giving us that highlight of, of things that the community in general, we know this is not just a law enforcement program, but folks in the community, in the greater community of North Carolina and beyond are watching and, and we want them to be our eyes and ears. I want to get a little bit more specific with each of you now and <clears throat> come back to Bobby as, as long as you're in front of the microphone. I, I touched on it briefly, but I'd like to remind our listeners what worth is, what the acronym is, and talk a little bit about how it came about. Worth Court, the acronym means we overcome, as you said earlier, we overcome recidivism through healing. Recidivism is um, it's the tendency of a convicted criminal to reoffend or a relapse, if you will. And some examples of recidivism would be because of social interactions that they have as they're incarcerated, social interactions that they have with other inmates. Um, when they are released, um, they have lack of employment and economic opportunities. Um, they have depression, lack of reintegration into society, lack of housing, an unchanging lifestyle and social circle upon release. Um, I always used to say to uh, my nieces and nephews, you have to change your people, places, and playgrounds. A lot of your inmates that are released do not do that. They go back into the same groups and playgrounds and places that they were in before, and they get right back into the same thing, which causes them to reoffend. So, as far as the, the We Overcome Recidivism Through Healing, our Chief District Court Judge, Tony King, came up with the acronym, and she was running it by all of us, and we all fell in love with it. So um, that's how that came about. Benji's very anxious to get on the program, so let me go right to it. <laughs> Benji, as a, as a case manager, talk about how you, and of course, Bobby as well, how do you all assist survivors of human trafficking? Well, we, the individuals are referred to us with clearance through the district attorney's office, and then they're enrolled with us uh, through a process whereby they are screened with a staffing process through our court. They're brought in for um, a first appearance in Worth Court, and Judge King basically sets forth uh, kind of a plan with the individual and an understanding of what the court can offer them. And the period of time is 12 to 18 months. And the plan would involve a basic care plan. And, and uh, Johnny Leonard is a part of that process whereby the mental health substance abuse issues are addressed. The services from there would be uh, through uh, one of our case management partners where a care plan for case management services is developed. And every aspect that you could think of in human need is looked at and examined and ascertained as to whether it's in place for the person or whether it's needed to be in place so that basic needs are going to be met. Housing, food, clothing, where the person is in their education, 
whether they've ever finished high school. If not, then that can be addressed. If they have any pursuit beyond high school, that can be addressed. If they have any pursuit beyond high school, that can be addressed. To create the stability so that there is not the recidivism that Bobby has talked about, balance in their lives. From that point, we basically start moving forward after about 90 days and they can ascertain themselves what they have achieved in that short period of time. And the care plan can be revamped, revitalized as they appear in court. Our court is, has two pathways. One is a juvenile court and one is an adult court. The, the court for each meets every other month. So one of the areas that we focus on in looking at the service provision is to not reintroduce trauma to the individual. Trauma is a major issue for any of the survivors of human trafficking. So we don't want to have the appearance in court be so impactful on the individual that it reintroduces trauma to them. So they, they come into court every other month. And with those court appearances, we have in staffing ascertained what's going on through our network of providers. We have 14 providers under a memorandum of understanding to uh, provide the services. And um, in court, Judge King will interact with the uh, survivor and, and discuss with them where they are in the process. And that first 90 days is crucial to help get an array of services in place and create balance. And as we move forward past that 90 days, Judge King will ask the individual to create a life plan. And that life plan is the next steps forward toward the person reaching the 12 to 18 months of where they will be as they move toward graduation from Worth Court. Graduation means that they will then have the capacity to move out of Worth Court and any pending legal charges against them, the district attorney's office will look at dismissing those charges. Another key component of what we have worked on in, in regards to case management is that once the individual graduates from Worth Court, any supportive care services, case management, housing assistance, job-related assistance, education assistance does not go away. Those services that they need stay in place as a continuum of care to ensure that there is balance and that the services that are essential for their not having recidivism occur stay in place. Johnny, I want to come back to you. If there is an action word that we could take from what Benji was just talking about, I think that word would be trauma. So I'd like for you to explain, if you could, and as, and as much as you can, about the effects that human trafficking has on a survivor's mental health. Very much, you know, the effects of, you know, of human traffic on, on a person's mental health is, you know, experiencing low self-esteem, you know, addiction, uh, anxiety, depression, and how this all interrelates of, you know, having the individuals remaining in these abusive relationships, you know, self-harming behaviors, not wanting to approve self, you know, perpetuating um, learned behaviors, maybe through their children, um, unemployment, uh, having not having the self-esteem or the initiative to want to improve themselves through their education or having a better life, um, isolating themselves from others, from their families, not reaching out for help, um, being, even being suspicious of receiving help, 
you know, with whether through law enforcement, case management, treatment providers, and how this has a great effect on their mental state. And it's how, you know, going through therapy and using trauma-informed care, how it helps them kind of rehabilitate their mind state, because it's not a simple thing you just do and it's kind of like, okay, it's, it's fixed and they move along. This is a lifelong process and, you know, incorporating, you know, recovery in this part as soon as they transition on that this is a life journey. It doesn't just stop. Well, I think you touched on this just a little bit, but I'd like for you to maybe dig a little bit deeper and talk about the modalities that you utilize in treating these survivors. They have to be complicated. Uh, yes. Uh, so even, you know, in therapy, um, actually, I just presented out uh, at the Human Trafficking Conference and I incorporated uh, using clinical hypnosis with some of the uh, individuals that I work with, um, because I think really you have to attack it from different angles using trauma-focused CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, EMDR, schema therapy. When you incorporate it, it's, it's really attacking from different angles. From with the individuals that I do work with, these are deep-seated beliefs. And just talking to them, it's, 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 it's more deep. It's these negative beliefs about themselves and how this is perpetuated in their daily behavior. And you have to dig at those roots and really help them and see from a different angle or how it manifested in order to help them in the present. So it's not something you really just kind of talk and it's like, oh, and those are often, I see working with trauma survivors that you're giving them Band-Aids and you really have, and not saying those Band-Aids aren't good in the moment, and sometimes they are, but really going to those roots and really addressing those, you know, I'm not safe or I'm out of control or I'm not good enough because how that's manifested in daily behaviors of these individuals, it perpetuates on and it will, it will continue on unless they are addressed. But also on, on the forefront of that, is building that relationship, which is uh, the vital piece. If they can't trust me as a provider, it doesn't go in. It moves very slow. So it's taking our time um, and building that relationship and building that rapport and know that they can trust me. And this is a safe space for them to be able to really dump that stuff. And that's a great point, again, for our cops out on the street to, to keep in mind. That relationship building starts right there, right then and there, when that officer walks in the door and he or she tries to make sense of this situation. And as they start their investigation to understand that there is a survivor in the room and that that survivor truly has to be treated with kid gloves. So I'm glad that you brought that out. Faith, I'd, I'd like to kind of throw out a little bit of a misnomer that I think may exist in the law enforcement circles is that human trafficking is an all adult thing. So Bobby touched on this earlier about the fact that they have a juvenile worth court as well. So you work in the Child Advocacy Center in Fayetteville. If you would, give us a, a bit of an overview about that and then talk about the services that you all are able to provide to human trafficking survivors. So the Child Advocacy Center is a um, nonprofit, and our mission is to work with children who have been se severely physically or sexually abused. So, for instance, last fiscal year that ended in June of 2022, we had 808 referrals that came through, and over 500 of those came in for actual forensic interviews. And when they are here, when those children and their families or non-offending caregivers are here, many times our Forensic interviewers, as well as the victim family advocate, begins to pick up on things that their curious minds are thinking, oh, is this connected to human trafficking? Could this be a sign? Um, and so when they see that, they will 
talk with our partnering agencies who are there, the law enforcement uh, detective, as well as the DSS social worker, if they're involved, and they'll have conversations. And if they uh, suspect that this could be a potential case, then they're going to look into what resources are available. They may look in to see if there's some therapy that needs to happen. Uh, they may look in to see if they can uh, dig a little bit deeper into the family's um, history and makeup and uh, that kind of thing to see if there are signs going on. And if there are things they feel that need to be um, attention brought in from other agencies, uh, they will reach out to them as well um, in doing that. And, and we have had um, sex trafficking children come through. We've had labor trafficking children come through that are cases that have been specifically here happening in our county here in Cumberland County. Well, I just wanted to say, I, I know that it's not an easy task that you have to do what you do. But obviously, the more eyes and ears you have out on the street makes your job a little bit more easier. So can you tell us a little bit about the education and training that you're able to present in your area to get the word out about human trafficking? Sure. So um, probably for about 10 years, we have been offering in the community a, um, a documentary that's called Chosen, and uh, it is about domestic minor sex trafficking in the 20-minute uh, documentary, it shares about two young girls that were trafficked, and they are not your typical girls that someone might would consider being a trafficked child, um, but they give their story and what happened and how they just got uh, in a conversation with some people where they, they worked and began to pay uh, interest in them and were beginning to make those promises and, um, and then fulfilled those promises and took them away from their family and their friends. Um, so we go out and train this, and this uh, training comes from Share Hope International, um, which is out of Washington State, a um, nonprofit out there that's created some different curriculums. Um, but we've been doing that throughout the community for several years. You can take that presentation out into, um, you know, with working with juveniles specifically, and they have a, a track for that. They have a track for men. They have a track for adults. They have one for co-ed. Um, so we've done that many times um, through these last 10, 12 years, um, sharing that out in the community. We also uh, do other things such as, you know, in January being Human Trafficking Awareness Month. We uh, try to provide all kinds of um, means to where that message gets out there. Um, this particular year, we have actually created a theme for the entire year that's called Be Their Voice. And for the month of January, we have added a tagline for that um, that is Be Their Voice stop human trafficking, speak up. Um, so during the month, we've got a lot of different activities that we're going to be doing, um, ways that we're going to be promoting through media um, and all of those type things. Well, our time has expired, and I think this is a discussion that we could easily have for another hour or maybe even more. But I want to thank all of you for taking time to share your level of expertise and faith in your case about an adopted child that was a victim of human trafficking. And just thank you so much, all of you, for sharing with us your stories and what you are able to do in Cumberland County. Obviously, you all have been working in this human trafficking arena for quite some time in the in Worth Court. I'm sure that there have to be some success stories that you've encountered along the way. Would anyone mind sharing? Um, Worth Court is the... Um only human trafficking court in the state of North Carolina. And after three years of being in existence, we um, are documenting the best practices for this court so that we can share them with other judicial districts in case they decide they would like to implement a uh, court of similar nature. And so in 
the process of documenting what we do, one of the challenges has been to find resources in our immediate area and in other areas of the state whereby we can refer individuals who have had a long history of substance abuse and mental health combined issues that um, we can find a treatment uh, for them that will keep them from going back to the recidivism that Bobby Maddox has talked about. And most recently, we had an individual that came to Worth Court and had, uh, in the discussions with Judge King, said that she really did not want to uh, revert back to her prior history of uh, substance use. And uh, she expressed a sincere desire to uh, seek help. And so combined our efforts, Johnny Leonard and I and, and some others, and we uh, found a resource outside our immediate area an hour and a half away for this individual. And we got her referred. Um, our court is held on a Friday. And uh, some hours after she left court, she uh, found fentanyl and she had a party. And we thought we had actually, we're not going to have success with the individual. But she was very committed to wanting to take the referral and the uh, slot that uh, Johnny had found for her. And we got her in for uh, treatment for 28 days. Judge King agreed to it. It was a very expensive endeavor on our part. Judge King and I agreed that it would be in 10 day lots of approval for it because of the cost. And so every 10 days, we were getting updates on a periodic basis and 10 day approvals for this. At the 26th day, I went and visited the facility and went through all the plans that the facility has to offer the regimens of care and exactly how they advance their treatment plans. This was a little unique because they had never actually acknowledged that they'd had a survivor come into their programs. And so they were having to pioneer their efforts along with us to help this individual. She had completed her program there. She now has moved on to a residential facility two hours away from us and is working uh, part-time and is in the residential facility. She's receiving mental health care and she's also uh, receiving classes offered by this facility. So we have kind of structured a whole new kind of treatment opportunity through Worth Court for a human trafficking survivor and created a whole new model that we can offer up to other judicial districts. We didn't know quite what we were getting into. We didn't know quite what our outcome was gonna be. And we didn't quite know whether we were going to be successful with this, but we were, and we have been. And I think that um, our efforts uh, are gonna prove something that other survivors in the state can um, become involved with and will have some success with and we can offer something for people that uh, absolutely are up against uh, no odds in their favor. So I just wanted to mention that because again, as I said, we're the only human trafficking court and we are pioneering new territory and we are pioneering new modules for care for these survivors. And we very easily could have lost her after that last court appearance. Yes, we, we, could, could, have lost her. we could have lost her that Friday night and um, it took some effort over the weekend and into that Monday and Tuesday to make it come together. But we were persistent. That is a good story, and I'm glad you shared it. 
January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month throughout the United States. On this episode of NCJA 1014, you've heard about the efforts in Cumberland County concentrating not just on prosecuting offenders, but assisting survivors regain their emotional states of mind. For law enforcement officers, please continue to educate yourselves and maintain a heightened awareness on calls for service where human trafficking could be occurring. For others, please know that you are always the eyes and ears needed by law enforcement. If you see suspicious activity that could be even remotely related to human trafficking, please do not hesitate to contact the law enforcement agency that serves the area you are in. Remember, the North Carolina Justice Academy is committed to helping in the fight against human trafficking. Be sure to check our website for upcoming courses that you may be interested in. NCJA 1014.